Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson, and this is our Dallas Cowboys preview podcast. Commanders and Cowboys coming up this weekend. Cowboys coming off the Monday Night Football win. Commanders coming off, well, you know what they're coming off of. Uh, To break it down with us, let's welcome in the host of, or the co-host of Love of the Star. He's also the Dallas Cowboys insider for our sister station down in Dallas, 105.3 The Fan. It is Bobby Belt, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Thank you, gentlemen. Yep. Appreciate you having me. Uh, nice to complete the home and home. Came on with you and Brian Broaddus uh, yes. last night. I'm excited to get some of your thoughts because Brian, uh, Brian dominated the conversation. So <laughs> He did. He was, he was stuck on that Carson Wentz discussion. We got done. I was like... Ryan, I may have to trim some of the Carson Wentz questions because that went on for a long time. We ended up keeping it all, but I was like, we, we're not going to have enough time to touch on anything else after you're, you you wanted to go on about Carson Wentz's spirit stuff. It was so. uh, it was great to talk to Brian, though. I, I knew Brian when I worked down in Dallas way back when, so it was, it was fun to catch the, up. Brian is the best person in Dallas media, honestly, and, and he's the best person to talk football with. He he is one of my heroes. He's he's the Logan Paulson of Dallas is basically yes. what, uh, yes. what we got here. Uh, That's what all we've right. always said about him. Let's uh, let's Logan's like I am so confused. Uh, let's get <laughs> yeah. into uh, into the Cowboys a little bit. Cooper Rush has not yet lost a game as a starter. Mm-hmm. How slash why? Um, I I mean, look, I think that he's the the biggest attribute of his that you can give him credit for. I think is that the moment's not too big for him. That's something that you hear a lot of the guys in the locker talk about. Is that he's unfazed by the pressure of it all. And that he's, you know, just a steady hand and that they they know exactly what they're getting from him. And look, I mean, this is a guy who outside of one year when he was in New York with the Giants has been in this building since 2017. So this connection that he has with a guy like Noah Brown um, and Noah Brown coming on and playing really well lately. Um, that's a guy that he's taken scout team reps with for, you know, you know, several years now that they've gotten a lot of work in together. And so a lot of these guys have spent a lot of time with Cooper Rush. Um, and so there's a familiarity there. There's a trust there. Um, and again, I think it's just his demeanor, his mental makeup. And, uh, you know, they've I don't want to say they, they've made it just vanilla for him, but I mean, they have simplified some aspects to it. They've taken out a lot of the um, option routes that's been sort of removed from the game plan since he came in. Um, and, you know, they have these run checks in there that he can go to. And so he's, he's been given a little bit of control, but it's also, I, I think, you know, with, with the running game being as good as it has, that's made things a little bit easier on him with Pollard and Zeke playing as well as they are. Um, but overall, I think uh, when you talk to guys in the locker room, the thing that they'll say is, look, he's just, he's had a lot of time with this team, a lot of time with these guys. So there's some, you know, chemistry already built in there and he is unfazed by the moment. I mean, do you think that they've, I mean, you mentioned some of the corrections that they've made in terms of play calling. When I watch the the New York game, for example, it seems like they are run first, run second, and then try to limit as much kind of big decision making as possible for Cooper Rush. Is that, was that how they were doing it with Dak or is this kind of a transition to kind of insulate him a little bit? It's a shift. I, I mean, they definitely uh, put more in Dak's hands than they do Cooper Rush's. And then there's been a discussion in Dallas, a lot of people going, okay, maybe this is the type of offense Dak should be running too. Maybe this is what it should look like with Dak Prescott. Um, I think Cooper Rush has done a good job. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we also got to remember this is a defense that's held every team under 20 points so far. 
Um, right. And so th- there's not a lot that the offense has had to, you know, get going on their own. It being adequate has been enough in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I think that they definitely tend to put more on Dak's plate. That first game of the season against Tampa Bay was really, really rough, especially on first down. That's a big thing that Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, talked about this week is that they haven't gotten behind the chains on first down. Uh, against the Giants, they were averaging eight and a half yards on first down. Against the Bengals, they were averaging five. Against Tampa Bay, they were averaging two and a half. So they were in second and eight 18 times. Second and eight plus 18 times against Tampa Bay. Against Cincinnati and the Giants combined, it was 19 times. And so that's helped them a lot, getting more favorable second and third down looks. Um, and they finally found a way, I think, to to use the running backs. More of Tony Pollard on first down, pick up some of the chunk plays, and then you know you get down to second and short, third and short. That's more where they give it off to Ezekiel Elliott. And uh, Ezekiel Elliott actually, he's perfect on his conversion rate on third down this year. And so they're they, they found a nice compliment, a nice way to use them. And I know Dallas fans have been rejoicing about the way that they finally figured out how to use Pollard. Nice. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Go ahead, Logan. Yeah, so I was going to say that, you know, like when I watched the New York game, you know, obviously when you're running an offense like this, it's a little bit more, let's say, conservative. You know, mm-hmm. penalties become a big issue. Um, you know, obviously you had a couple penalties in the red zone. The team did a couple drops. Like, how has that been received in the DC in the uh, Dallas media? And uh, is that something they're emphasizing this week? Man, there's uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the receivers in particular because obviously they let Amari Cooper go and they let right. Cedric Wilson walk to, you know, Miami and – and they really bought in on, look, CeeDee Lamb, you're the guy. But it wasn't just CeeDee Lamb, you're the guy. Um, it was intimated to him. I've talked to people with, with the team. It was intimated to CeeDee Lamb, like, dude, we don't just need you to step up and be the guy as, you know, what you're doing on the football field. We need you to step up and be more of that alpha energy at the one. Mm. Like, like we need a dog at, at the one. And, and CeeDee's always been kind of a quiet reserve guy. That's obviously Amari Cooper. And so I think that they, they really wanted to move completely away from what they got with Coop. Um, and, and so CD has been a little more vocal and, and, and talked a lot about leading up to week one. He's like, uh, you know, I've, I've prepared for this moment. I deserve this moment. And, uh, you know, I, I'm ready to attack and started talking about how, honestly, I don't feel like there's much difference between me and Cooper cup in terms of where we're at as players and stuff like that. So a lot of strong talk. And then he came out and struggled against Tampa Bay. Cincinnati was a little better, but then he has that big drop against the giants. And, and, you know, there's a little bit of whispers i think in dallas around here going like he's a guy is he the guy though mm-hmm. like is he is he really the guy is he is he built for this and uh i i think that that was silenced a little bit by the touchdown drive mm-hmm. where he had four catches on that drive he had the big tough fourth down catch which was nice we haven't seen him finish in traffic a lot over the years since he's been here he, that's one of the areas he struggled but big fourth down catch gets down to the one on that big catch that uh, set up the the fade route and then took his helmet off and was yelling at the Giants fans, letting them hear all about <laughs> it. And so, uh, and that, that's not CD's nature. That has not been his nature. So he's really trying to lean into what the Cowboys want from him uh, in terms of that alpha energy. But um, yeah, I think some of the discussion has been about like, is he really the guy? And that's still yet to be determined. I think if you ask a lot of people here, I know if you asked me and you told me like I could have McLaurin or Lamb right now, I'd probably take McLaurin. That's interesting, oh. um, especially because we, we had a lot of those discussions, I think, in the offseason around yeah. Terry and the contract and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Terry is a leader and, and all that kind of stuff is is top notch. Um, and yeah. it seems like CD is trying to to find that a little bit. Um, you know, I don't want to go back over the Amari thing, but I was definitely someone who was like, I don't think Dallas realizes how good Amari Cooper is. Uh, and it seems well, that to, got personal. That got personal yeah. here. That that was just they didn't like his. There were people who thought he was passive aggressive. They didn't like his demeanor. They didn't uh, honestly. It they didn't like that, that he didn't get vaccinated. The there there were issues, and so it, it was. They didn't like that he didn't practice. They were getting stuff from him on Sunday, but they felt like they didn't get anything from him Monday through Saturday, and so it all built up to something where it's like we we went we went out on this. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we are certainly used to in DC uh, wild swings in criticism and praise for the offensive coordinator. Scott Turner was the king of the world after Week One, uh, and then things things haven't been as good since uh, a mixed bag in Week Two and, and a really uh, questionable performance in Week Three. Kellen Moore gets that on a Dallas Cowboys level because it gets discussed nationally. He's a head coaching candidate one week, and then he should be fired the next. What have you made of the Kellen Moore experience specifically through these three games in 2022? 
So I'm a much bigger Kellen Moore fan than I think most people are, including here in the Dallas media, Dallas fans, things like that. Um, I, I think that he does generally a good job. I think he's still a young coordinator and he's still kind of coming into his own. One of the hallmarks that you've seen from him 2019, 2020, 2021 is consistently the first half of the season or early in the season, the offense is is crushing it. And, and they're and they're usually doing a lot of really exciting things, you know, at the snap, pre-snap motion. They're pushing the ball down the field. They're having a lot of success. Um, and then every single year, the second half has been brutal. And and you know, it feels like he gets a little more conservative. He tightens up. I know uh, one uh, somebody I know from one team had told me that they felt like Kellen becomes a little bit predictable. And when when defenses start changing things up on him. Uh, he doesn't have a response to that. So that's still where he's growing and, and and coming into his own. I think he's gotten a lot of credit for how he's called the offense and how he's put Cooper Rush into a, a you know, a, a, an easy situation or, or he's made things as easy for him as possible. And that's something that, honestly, he deserves a lot of credit for is that I think he's at his best when the personnel is, is you know, not what they expected. He's good at adjusting the game plan in the middle of the season when things are changing, you know, so when Ben DiNucci has to come in and start against Philadelphia, the fact that he manufactured nine points with DiNucci at quarterback in 2020 was nothing short of a miracle. Uh, and he, he pulled out all the stops, all these wild, you know, double reverse passes and everything else. Just really to, went back to his Boise State days. Yeah, honestly. And, and so, you know, I'm surprised we didn't see that old, uh, what was that Statue of Liberty, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, two-point conversion. I'm surprised we didn't see one of those. But it had them in a position to where it was a seven-point game against Philadelphia, and Danucci was had a chance to drive down there and tie it. Um, had Garrett Gilbert step in and play really well against Pittsburgh in 2020 and has, you know, put Cooper Rush in a position to succeed where he's 3-0 and now. And so I think Cooper, Kellen Moore does a really good job of, you know, creating the, the best possible situations for an offense that is missing key parts of their personnel. I think the problem for a lot of people is, okay, why why do you seem to level up here and, and we can't get you to, to put the personnel in the right position to succeed when we have everybody back? Why is that when we struggle? Why is that when we seem to can't use, you know, Tony Pollard correctly? Why is it that then we can't get you know, these route concepts to work. And so I think that that's the the thing that he'll have to show when Dak Prescott gets back is that he can continue this consistency and continue to show like, hey, I can put these players in a good position to succeed, especially because it's compared to the other side of the ball where Dan Quinn has been a master of that in the two years that he's been here is that he is getting the most out of everybody and putting guys in the best possible position to succeed. I got to play with uh, Dan a little bit, really awesome, fantastic human being. Can you talk yep. about some of the stuff he's done on the defensive side of the ball to like really elevate that group? Cause he's changed a lot. Like when I watch him, he's grown up a lot in the last, you know, four or five years. Yeah. He's, he's, he's talked about how, you know, he, he kind of had to go back to the drawing board and uh, change some concepts. I think he's a little more blitz happy these days than he used to be. Um, and, and it doesn't look like, you know, Legion of boom, Seattle days, what they run here. Um, and, and, and he, he's talked about it this week. He was discussing with us that he, he finally, he feels really comfortable with where he's at with this defense because he last year, even though they had a lot of success, he's like, that was trial and error. He's like, that was experimentation. I was trying to figure out, does Micah Parsons know how to rush the passer? Does this guy know how to do this? This guy know how to do this? He said, I'm operating with an understanding of my personnel now. Like I understand who these guys are and I know how to put them in a position to succeed. And he thinks that's why you're seeing, look, we're generating some more pressure uh, from guys outside of Micah Parsons. We're getting Dorrance Armstrong, Dante Fowler, you know, Demarcus Lawrence. These guys are getting home. Also, Diggy Zua has been really good as a three technique. He hasn't picked up a bunch of sacks, but he's somebody who's generating a lot of pressure and, and winning his matchups. Um, and so I think he's just got a better understanding of what his personnel can do and, and how he wants to move his guys around. Um, and, and, you know, he's talked about the, the one area where they're still deficient this year, oddly enough, after last year it was – the whole identity of the defense is they're, they're not generating turnovers the same way. Um, and, and he's trying to put him in position for that, but he's just, he is so, he's so hands-on. Um, you know, the guys will always tell you, he'll, I'm sure you saw it, Logan, he'll put his Jordans on and he'll get in there and do D line drills and like yeah. show them how to do stuff. And so he, he's very hands-on. He connects with guys. It's, it's, it's not just what he does as a coach in terms of, teaching but it's it's what he does also in terms of connecting with them as men like they the, the guys in there will tell you just how much they view him as a father figure and and a guy that they can trust and count on and know they can you know speak directly with mike parsons has had so many good things to say about his relationship with dq um and so i i i point to the fact that you know 
he he talks about how last week one of the big things they harped on was watching film of quarterbacks sliding in 2022. He's like, because we got two unnecessary roughness penalties when Burrow was sliding in the open field. And so he's like, we went back to the tape and went, all right, what is considered clean tackling of a quarterback in the open field? What is not? And he's like, we were watching tons of film last week trying to figure out, all right, this is this is the standard. Kind of like the way, you know, pitchers and batters will view an umpire strike zone. Like, okay, just call it consistent. Even if I disagree, that's a strike. At least I know the standard and, and I right. can play within these bounds. Right. And so that that's the kind of attention to detail that Dan Quinn is, is working on with this defense. And, and you know, he's just, I, I think he's probably the most popular. If you were to do a, uh, you know, one of those Gallup poll, like Rasmussen reports daily. Uh, you you don't know, know anything uh, about polling in DC. What are you yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, the, the polling of uh, his approval rating, he would be sky high. I don't think there's a, a single person in Dallas who's, uh, got a problem with Dan Quinn. All right, last question uh, we have for you. Uh, Micah Parsons is arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL, yet he plays mm-hmm. middle linebacker a lot. Why is that? Because, you know, Logan and I were kind of batting this around last week. Like, every team is looking for an elite pass rusher. You guys have arguably the best one, and then you don't use him as a pass rusher all the time. Uh, what is, what like, why is that, and is that the right move? Well, I mean, I think that, so... They will tell you, if you talk to them internally, one of the things they'll tell you is like, look, he had 13 sacks last year and seven of them came from blitzing as a linebacker. Like, we feel like part of the benefit here is he's disguised and people don't know what he's going to do. Um, I think, for instance, last week, he had he was in coverage more last week than he was the first two games. Um, he, he was pretty much a full-time pass rusher against Tampa Bay, against Cincinnati, uh, against the Giants. I think they felt like, okay, this is a physical football team and this is Saquon Barkley and and we've got to trust that like, like, like we need to make sure we're, we're on our P's and Q's at the second level. And so I think that they felt like that's a big reason why Mike was playing more traditional linebacker against the giants. Um, he had more, uh, you know, heading into the giants game, Demarcus Lawrence and Dorrance Armstrong, two genuine, true defensive ends, like guys with background of like hand in the dirt, you know, four, three defensive ends. Um, they had combined for more snaps and coverage this year than Micah had played. And so they were they, they've been using him a lot more as that. I think it just matters the matchup. And that's one of the things that Dan Quinn really gets excited about in using him is saying, all right, in this week, I can have him be a traditional linebacker like this is what we need in a few weeks when we play Philadelphia, we might need him to just spy Jalen Hurts all game. That may be what he does for us, um, you know, and so I, I think they just like the flexibility and they feel like part of that flexibility allows them to disguise him and that's part of the reason for his pass rush success is that they feel like, okay, we can make it look like, oh, okay, he's going to drop. No, he's coming. Like you have no idea which direction he's going to go. Is he going to drop into coverage? Is he going to, you know, take this running back or is he going to, you know, blitz up the a gap? Is he going to stand over, you know, tackle and rush? And so I think it's just that flexibility that they like, and they feel like that's part of what makes him so effective when he does rush. That actually well, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But also, I think you guys have like another really solid blitzing linebacker in Anthony Barr. And so like yeah. having those guys on the field together at the same time, it's like, you know, because like when you're calling protections, you call the bigs, right? And you have a report every week. It says these guys are the big guys and these are the guys the O-line is going to account for. But when you have guys who are kind of those tweener types like Parsons and Barr, like it really messes with the counts. And I love the way Dan has kind of been manipulating those counts based on Parsons alignment or Barr's alignment. And it's been uh, – it's been kind of fun to watch, and he does. He's able to kind of tighten the screws, just like you said, because of you can't be. You know, he's not lined up a defensive end every play. Like on this yeah. play, is he a big? Is he a little? And I think that's pretty intelligent. Yeah, he's, he's he's completely unpredictable what he's doing from snap to snap, and that's a big hallmark of what Dan Quinn has guys do on defense in general. Jaron Curse has been banged up; he's been hurt, but that's a guy that he he'll play. You know, in coverage, that's a guy he brings up in the box to play basically a linebacker role at times. Um, you know, they they love the flexibility of guys like Demarcus Lawrence to play the edge or kick inside, and you know, like I said, they've dropped Dorrance Armstrong and Demarcus Lawrence into coverage a few times, and so. But Anthony Barr, that's definitely a big part of it. That's one of the reasons that. Dan Quinn talked about they brought in Anthony Barr's. They felt like it was going to free them up to do more things with Micah Parsons and manipulate him a little bit more, knowing that they had the cover of a guy like Anthony Barr. Mm. Yeah. Make sure you check out all of Bobby's stuff on 105.3 The Fan uh, down in Dallas on the radio side of things. Of course, you can listen to that on the always free Odyssey app and Love of the Star, the fantastic podcast with Bobby and our good friend Brian Broaddus. Uh, Bobby, this was great. Uh, good thing about being NFC East rivals is that we get to do this again later in the season. Look forward to that and uh, have fun on Sunday. 
Absolutely. Craig, DC, Brian brought us. Uh, appreciate y'all a, a great deal. <laughs> <laughs>
the pressure is draws and screens. It's like, ah, everybody knows that. And I'm like, okay, if everybody knows it, then why aren't they doing it? Why do you think that that hasn't been a bigger part of like your traditional, just like halfback screen, let the rush come, flip it over the head. Um, you know, some, I don't feel like we've seen a ton of draw. Um, why hasn't that, or why isn't that a bigger part of their offense? I have theories, but I, I I'll ask you open-ended first. Yeah. So obviously like I have theories as well and nothing I'm saying is like substantiated by, by, by nothing more than me watching film and my experience as a player, Sure. But right? your experience yeah. in watching film is worth more than my guesses. Right. So what I would say is that there are teams like screens take a lot of time to get good. Like there's a lot of timing involved and good screen teams like they emphasize screens, right? They, they run screens and practice a lot. They have a screen period. They work it versus different rushes versus different fronts and they get really, really proficient at them. Right. And when, you know, you weren't, you went out to training camp a couple of days, but this team does not, they don't major in screens. Right. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is because I think they do so much RPO stuff. You want to get more reps with something that's a bigger part of your offense, right? So I think that is that would be something I'd look at and say they just don't put the time in, right? And that's fine. Like I've been a lot. Right, you only have so much time. It's not like right. oh they're lazy. It's like they they've allocated that resource to something else. To so something else, right? And and that's totally fine. Like, but when it comes time to run that screen versus certain pressures and certain blitzes and all the little tricks that you see like Kansas City run and how good that timing is and. You know, um, I think back to Aaron Rodgers when they were really prolific in screens, like this was probably five years ago. He'd like walk up on third down and he'd make a mic point. You know, he'd like mic somebody so that they thought it was a protection and then they would blitz. You know what I mean? It just kind of sold like they just knew all the little details of how to sell those screens. And I just think it, you can't just be good at it overnight. And I think that's the point of it. Right. Like a lot of people say, like I heard Fletch talking about this on the command center. It's like, oh, I want to see more gap runs as opposed to RPO stuff. I'd like to see that too, but you got to run those a ton, right? Because defenses line up differently. You get different fronts. And so if you haven't put the time and you haven't invested that equity in there, it's not going to be as efficient. So I think it's the same principle applying to screens. It's the same principle applying to draws. They do some interesting kind of downhill stuff, like trap stuff on third down, but they practice that more and they're better at it, right? They understand all the nuances and variations. So I think that's one reason why I'd say that they just haven't embraced the screen game. Now they do rep the wide receiver running back screen game out of empty from width a little bit more, but obviously that's a little bit more of a kind of de decisive formational tell. So you don't get the same kind of, you know, e like repertoire of screens out of that look. Right. That was my thought as well, is that like the shortest version of that is they're not very good at it. Um, uh, you explained why, <laughs> right? Like they're not good at it because yeah. it's not, it's not something they major in. It's not something they've put time in. Right. But I also do think like their personnel does not align for that. Like Turner and Norwell aren't super athletic guards that can get out in space. Right. Like not That's at this true. point in their That's careers. Yeah. And like, I think when you're used to Trent Williams and Brandon Sheriff, uh, you know, a t tackle on one side and guard on the other, like the screen game under Gruden was pretty, pretty interesting. Cause you could run a one man screen with Trent Williams out front and he'd kill three people. Um, you can't do that with Charles Leno. Charles Leno's a fine NFL tackle, but like Trent and Brandon are so extraordinarily mobile. That's why they're all pros. Like not only are they solid down in, down out, but they do extraordinary things that you don't have the ability to do with less athletic players. And that's that's part of the issue is like, I don't think they trust Cosme and Turner to get out and, and hit people on the screens. It's just not what they're not what they're built for. So trying to balance between what the game is quote unquote demanding and what your players are good at, like that is offensive coordinating. Finding that sweet spot is the hardest part. And unfortunately, I think Scott's hands are a little bit tied. So I guess the, the question would then turn into against a team like Dallas, who will blitz a, a fair amount. Um, as Bobby was saying, Quinn has started to blitz a little bit more. You obviously said the same thing, watching the same tape, uh, watching the same team. Uh, and what do you do to like use that aggression of Dallas and especially of a guy like Parsons, Lawrence, against them in a way that can keep your offense moving well so first off two things that you said there that i think are really interesting one is i think people underrate how good that offensive line was with morgan moses brandon sheriff rule and then whoever the guard was and trent williams like that group <laughs> when literally it was like whoever the guard who's playing left guard this week doesn't matter yeah but like that group was very very good like extremely good very very talented and extremely well coached right and like when brian when brian uh when bill Cowan was here they 
they did like they put a lot of equity into a lot of stuff because he would have them out there 45 minutes before practice started he'd have them right. after 45 minutes so they were able to touch on a lot of stuff that this group hasn't been able to touch on and you mentioned the mobility thing i think this group can be good at screens i think cosme is tremendously athletic i think leno's athletic enough i think where you fall down a little bit is at the guards like Norwell's actually been very good through three games. Not very good, but good through three games, right? But he is not the most mobile dude of all time. Trey Turner's got good mobility, but again, and I think you could run a screen that way, but obviously they just don't do it. And, and the other thing about their screens, they tend to be first and second down screens as opposed to what you kind of think of as your third down screen, right? It's off of a run action. It's kind of a longer developing screen. It's designed to kind of misdirect and then be an easy throw for the quarterback as opposed to something designed to beat pressure. So just to kind of, you made me think of that's that as a, you were talking. That's a great, that's a great distinction as well. Right. Yeah. And so, okay. So speaking of, um, of Using Dallas, the aggression against them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you, Dallas. Right. So I think the thing about Dallas, that's interesting is now you have to kind of identify what you want your protection plan to be. Obviously there's going to be some draw, some screen element that I'm sure they're game planning that in this week, like that would be dumb not to, they're not excellent at it because they don't rep it a ton, but that will be in right then the question becomes like, what do you do? Do you provide chip help? Do you go side protections? Do you go max protections? Or do you go empty or go spread formation and say, we're going to beat you quickly getting the ball out of our hands? Those are all viable solutions, right? And each one of them has their own drawbacks. So for example, let's say you go max pro, right? That's That tends to be everybody's solution. Like leave a tight end, leave a back end, right? The problem with max pro is that if they're bringing six, six or seven, depending, right? you are going to have a poor pass protector on a very good blitzer, right? So if you go back and watch last year's game, right, they did an excellent job of basically being like, we know your protection plan and we're going to make sure Micah Parsons is on Antonio Gibson. And I hate to break it to you, but that's a matchup favoring Dallas. <laughs> I don't think that just was broken to me. I think I figured right. that went out all by myself. Right. And I so they they do a good – so that's when – and so they have excellent blitzing linebackers. Leighton Vander Esch, say what you want about him in terms of his coverage ability, but still a very physical blitzer. Anthony Barr has made a career out of being an excellent blitzer against running backs, right? So any one of those three guys on any one of our backs is going to favor them, right? So that's one of the issues in Max Pro, right? Also, you're having a tight end block Lawrence, who's a very good pass rusher, right? And he's going to be in a one-on-one -on -one situation. So there are ways to mitigate that, you know, putting the back away and having them cross formation. Like there's a whole bunch of ways to get to that, but that's, that's where you got to start playing chess. You got to start stacking kind of things to cover up some of the deficiencies of these protections. I personally prefer spreading it out. I, I think when you pack it in, you're asking for a lot of issues, right? You're asking for a lot of people to win one-on-ones in pass protection, and you ask, you're asking them to all identify something that can be very complex. Because I will say Dallas does a really nice job with like ETs and TEs and using Micah Parsons from depth in those same types of combinations. And it gets very complicated, and the guys have to be really dialed in. Now, if you watch the Cincinnati game, that offensive line was very dialed in. They did an excellent job versus some of those pressures, right? But I think let's spread it out a little bit. That's more who we want to be anyway. It lets you identify A, rushers, and B, matchups, right? So when I can see the formation and I look out and I say, you are in the box in this spread formation. You are obviously blitzing. I can then dictate protection to slide to that player, and I know who the free rusher is going to be, right? I can kind of say, okay, let's slide left. This is the free rusher. I got to get the ball up before he gets here. And that makes it, I think, easier for the quarterback to identify and then understanding kind of the urgency to get the ball out. Now, you got to make sure the concept is quick enough to get the ball out. But those are some of the issues that you're negotiating in both of those scenarios. So we had Kedrick on the show yesterday, and he brought up a really good point about going completely empty, which is dead set, you know, as a pass rusher, it's pass. Right. And, you know, look, if you're already in third and 12, like, Sure, you probably know it's pass anyway, but that idea of like I might have to watch out for a draw here um, mm. is something that matters. And I thought that was a really interesting insight because you know, as you and I have talked about all this, like I like I get why teams go empty. It makes a lot of sense. Like go ahead, blitz seven. Now we got you know, we got numbers on the back end, and if our quarterback can figure out who the open guy is, he's gonna have space to run because everybody's running running where the ball was, not where it is. But I do think that obviously there's the happy medium of like, can you keep a back in the backfield, even if he gets out quickly, sure. but just enough that when Micah Parsons and Tank Lawrence fire off the ball, they have to go, is it, is it run? Um, it you know, yeah. and, and I think this is where like a guy like Curtis Samuel can also be really helpful, right? Like, could you start empty motion Curtis into the backfield, run a draw, and now it's in their head, like, 
Hey, I gotta, I gotta watch out for that as an, as an option, as a possibility. Like this is where Scott using some of the motion shift, you know, the pre-snap stuff can get them that little bit of edge, that little bit of doubt in a defense's mind that there are other possibilities they need to consider. And so I think making sure that you have that plan of not just here's how we're going to solve it um, with route concepts, with whatever it may be, but like here's how we're going to solve it by putting more on the defense mentally and slowing them down is also a huge part of the equation. And that's 1000% correct. Like, so I, I mentioned that I prefer empty for the reasons that I stated, but that doesn't mean you go exclusively empty. Right? right. You need to understand down and distance. You need to understand matchups. You need to understand flow of the game. Right. And all of the things you just mentioned are extremely critical. Like even if the back's in the backfield and he's free releasing, that does give the defense a second pause. Like who matches up with the back in this look? What if they run it? What, I, what is my rush angle if he run? So all of those things are, yes, it, even though you, I have a preference here, like as a good coordinator, you need to make sure, hey, I have some Max Pro stuff in. The other thing I think that's important is like when you look at um, the LA Rams, for example, last year in their Super Bowl run, one of the things they did an excellent job of on third down, third and seven plus, is they'd get in these kind of really wide formations, right? To force the defense to declare blitz packages and coverages, right? Right. And then they gave Stafford the ability to check to, hey, I want to check to a draw. I'm going to motion someone in the backfield, right? And so you start wide. Then you, like you mentioned, Curtis Samuel, motion in, maybe Logan Thomas motions down, shift, something like that. Because then it goes, then it changes everything pretty drastically, right? It makes the picture so much clearer. And I think that's, again, when you want to be effective on third down, that's the level of nuance, especially when a team is struggling. Give your quarterback an option to say, hey, like I see this blitz coming. I want to check to this play. Call two plays. Give a can, can check with me, something like that. The shift element is huge, right? But once it's identified, let's shift and get into something that we feel good about. And I think that's where that level of nuance and detail, I do think, um, can be improved upon this week. Yeah, yes. Craig, Craig asks a simpleton question time. Uh, when you play Madden, you have right. like the, the automatic audibles, right? Like, sure. you know, you, you can hit, you know, whatever the buttons. I haven't played Madden in a long time. Uh, you hit L2 and, and then square and it's like halfback dive. And like yeah. those audibles are always available to you. Right. How many teams actually have that? I mean, like Peyton Manning certainly had the entire playbook available to him. It seemed like at all times, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers is up there orchestrating Brady. Like, but I don't, I don't know how much of the playbook is available to each and every quarterback in the NFL. How normal is it to have kind of an ability on literally any play to audible, to check out, or is it, and especially, I don't know how much you know about what they do with that kind of stuff here. Does it have to be, we're called two plays in the huddle and I'll tell you which one it is at the line of scrimmage. Well, you know, here's play one. If I can, it's going to play two. So story time with Logan here. So I was talking to yes. Will, Will Montgomery about his time with Peyton Manning. Oh mm -hmm. man, like that's a lot. You got to know everything. He's like, it's actually not as complicated as it looks. And so what they would do is like the offensive coordinator would basically call three plays in the huddle, right? Peyton would know all three, right? And he'd just say one and he'd hold those other two in, right? And the offensive coordinator would put him in a formation that would allow him to get to the other two. And then two other plays, like kind of hot plays that he liked that were, that seemed like very complicated. But let's say they were running all out blitz. Like he loved, think about Demarius Thomas when he was in Denver, right? And how he would just mm -hmm. throw that quick screen to Demarius. Yes. That that was always on deck because they were always trying to get guys in that perfect look, right? So he had one versus like cover three that week and one versus all out pressure. So he would call the check versus cover three or the, or the one versus all out pressure while still having those other two run plays in his head. And it wasn't like overly complicated because their whole offense was derived from code words. So it's pretty easy for him to be like, hey, We've got so-and-so called, and then I was in Chicago, and it was the same play call. And they'd be like, hey, Buffalo, 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 on two, on two, ready? And then he'd stop the ball. Or Omaha, Omaha, and then he'd go, right? And Will said it sounded really complicated, and it was hard to learn the offense because it was all memorization and code words. But once you were in it, it was just like, oh, he just said Buffalo. Like, I know that's tight zone to the left. Let's go. You know? And, like, so it was really easy for him, but also it wasn't, like, as in-depth as it may have appeared on television. You know, it's maybe – four or five plays as opposed to 60 plays. And so obviously like here, I don't think they do any of that. You know, I mm -hmm. think that's not really what they want to do and who they want to be. Which by the way, I think is most teams in the league. Yeah, that's true. And I think like when you look at um, 
LA, they're kind of at the cutting edge of third down stuff right now. And most teams put that cannon on first and second down because the the noise isn't as bad. It's not it's not as noisy on first and second down. Third down, mm. you've ever been to a game, it gets pretty raucous. So you're having a really high demand there of like guys being super dialed in and checking with the quarterback and making sure they get the can, right? So um, I don't think it's I think it's becoming more common because of the sex success LA has with it. But I was just thinking back to my playing career, 10 years. And I don't think I had one team that did that on third down. A lot of teams that did it on first and second down, but no team did it on third down. They would try to give the quarterback tells. They would let him check protections. They would let him alert like hand signal routes to the outside. So like if it's a two by two, you have these kind of plays on. If it's a three by one, these plays would be on. But that's different. That's a totally different animal than like saying we have this play called and you can check it to this play versus this look. Like that's more that's more of a testament to Sean McVay and the way he thinks about the game and the way he prepares. But yeah, it's not overly common. But I think that's again, that's that's kind of cutting edge. I think this team is yeah. capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean they have smart players, and that's that's the most important thing. Um, and the thing is too, like you know, you mentioned everything has like positives and negatives, right? And can yeah. you can you do things? And we're getting a bit down a rabbit hole here, but like that's what podcasts are for, <laughs> we've, we've, right? We've, we're, we're like not even deep. We're like in like never, never land right now. You know Yeah, what I'm but like, you know, one of the things we talked about with like stacks and bunches, you like them because it, you can get receivers free releases. The problem is it condenses everybody at the line of scrimmage and it's really easy to disguise stuff. Who's blitzing, who's not, because everybody's just mushed together. But that's why like these pre-snap motions and these shifts and everything are so important is because you can start Start empty and wide and get your information, motion a guy down. Now, all of a sudden, even if it's just a two receiver stack, you can get one of those guys that free release. You can shift and have everybody come back in. Like you can start narrow and, and get some information, and then go wide and see who follows. Like the, there's all these different things that you can do. And I think the balance, as we've talked about before, is not overloading your guys, not making it too right. complicated, not tricking every single play out. But third down is kind of the time to do that stuff. Third down is the time to, like, because what you're actually doing is simplifying. Hey, we're just going to start here. And, like, you can talk about it during the week. It doesn't have to be like, oh, God, here comes the play call. It's like, hey, on third down, expect us to shift. On third down, expect us to start here and finish here. And that's, like, that's ultimately the, the coaching and teaching part of this where, you know, we've certainly had our questions about their ability in certain areas to get information across because it doesn't seem like guys are executing it cons with consistency of, like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. We're trying to get this actually – we're doing this to actually give you guys more information to make your lives easier. So, yeah, sorry for the extra words, but – your your life is going to be a lot easier and we're going to be more successful if we can execute this simple pre-snap stuff. And I think that's something, again, like, you know, being I'm a, I'm a run game coordinator for a high school, right? And so there's this temptation to make it overly complicated every week. I'll be like, they run this front, front, let's drop the perfect play. But also you have to know who you are, know what your identity is, right? And I, so I think you got to walk that line. But to your point, it doesn't even need to be this crazy complicated thing. It could just be like you line the back up and empty, you motion them to the backfield. Does a linebacker match them outside? If a linebacker does, then it's man coverage. Which side of the formation do I like versus man coverage, right? If it's man coverage, it's probably pressure. Let's take a quick look. Who do I think is blitzing? Let's see if I can get the protection called that way. That is a basic thing, right? That's right. super basic. And like, you're going to have to figure that out anyway. You have to figure out the coverage and you have to f pick a side. So why not do it when their big guys aren't chasing you? Right. And I think that like, so, so in this example, right, teams, teams know that you do that. So they try to disguise it or whatever, but if you watch enough film, you can figure out what their response is to that. And if you can get any kind of information out of that, that lets the quarterback play a little bit faster, that lets them in. Like, that's one thing when you look at Tom Brady and you look at the stuff he's doing, and I hate to draw a comparison of the best to ever do it, but he, and sure, but like, there's a reason he's the best and it's not right. because he's the most physically gifted guy that's ever played. Right. And same thing with Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. They anticipate concepts and they understand defenses, right? So how do you help the quarterback understand that, right? And it's with a little bit of motion, with a formational tell, right? Like I've mentioned this before, West Sot. So two tight ends to the right, two receivers to the left. Defenses have very specific, usually, responses to that that are very easy to see. Because I can't leave, if I want to play man, and the two receivers are to the left. I can't leave my corner to the right. So they're going to go corners over to the left. And then I know right now, pre-snap read, it's man-to-man -man coverage. And those are the types of things that they're simple. 
They require a little bit more preparation from the offensive coordinator, but they definitely help the quarterback, right? And understanding how to use those tools and when to use the tools, as you as and you brought up a great point. You don't want to overload everything. Because I, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. Kyle, one of the things is he's always trying to get you in the perfect play. And mm-hmm. at some point, guys start playing slow because it's such a mental load. It's like, okay, it's a check with me, can, but also we have an Oscar to a pass, like okay, like I've, I've got it all, but like I need to, you need to be really dialed in. I need to make motion versus this one, but, and it gets a little bit much, right? I think between what Scott's doing and between what Kyle's doing, there's a happy medium that most teams kind of operate at. And they say, these are the simple things we're going to do to help the quarterback just pre, pre-snap, understand what the defense is trying to do. And the defense can trick you or whatever, that's fine. But at least we're trying to give you a little bit of a mental edge in those situations. Yep. And when you're dealing with Micah Parsons, which is where this all started, it's more specific to Dallas, less specific football talk. Um, All that information becomes very, very important. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig. He's Logan. All right, quickly, Logan, let's wrap up with the commander's defense. One thing when I watch the Cowboys-Giants game, Cooper Rush gets the ball out quickly when he is responsible for getting the ball out. They are a run first, second, and third team like you talked about when we had Bobby on, and he certainly confirmed that. But with Rush, they do get the ball out really, really quickly. They try to make it really easy for him. So what do you see out of this Dallas offense with Rush at the helm? And and do you also expect them to expand it a little bit as he's now in his, what is this, his fourth start or third start, fourth appearance, whatever it is on the season? I would say at some point they will have to expand it, but I don't think against this team. I, I think they're what they're thinking about is like coming off this Philadelphia loss, the defense played well, but not outstanding. The offense is struggling. We can definitely stay in our wheelhouse. We can definitely be who we want to be. We can definitely run the football on first and second down. And the thing is, is this game feels, smells to me a little bit like the Detroit game, right? They want Mm. to run the football. They run kind of physically minded runs. There's a diverse, there's a very eclectic array of those kind of physical runs they want to run. Gaps, powers, bounces, pulls, all this types of stuff. And you got the personnel to execute it. And you can tell that they've sharpened that sword a ton because they're very, very good at it. And so to me, the most critical element of this game is what is your first and second down plan to stop the run? Because right now what they do is they run it twice, they get in a first down, and they take a shot. And then CeeDee Lamb dropped a couple in the game against New York, but he's going to catch those at some point. And those are going to be huge. And he's wide open because everyone's selling out to stop the run. So you need to figure out a way with your front seven, with your front eight, to to stop the run, put a lot of pressure on Cooper Rush to beat you from the pocket. Now he's a fine football player, like our guest said, Bobby. He, you know, he's been around the been around that team for a long time. He's got good relations with everybody. But I want to see him do it down in and down out. He doesn't he doesn't throw the football a ton. They don't ask him to throw the football a ton. To me, he's the weak link right now, and he's he's done a good job with what they've put on his plate. But what happens when you shovel more on? What happens when the offense is when what happens when they're down 14 points? What happens if the offense can apply some pressure and they can't run the football? What happens if you shut down the run game on first and second down? And that becomes the cog that has to win the game for you. I personally think he's a good player. I don't think he's equipped to do that. So I want to see let's what can you do to get to make that happen? That's offense and defense. Yeah, definitely. I loved what John Allen said on the junkies on Monday about, you know, obviously things didn't go great against Philly. Um, and it really was that second quarter, but they did do a good job against the run. Um, and John was like, we, as a defensive line took it on ourselves. That was a real point of emphasis for us. Not that we weren't trying the first couple of weeks, but like that was our thing. And I think that's got to continue to obviously this week, but also moving forward, um, real quick, just to wrap up though, um, going back two levels, what do you do with St. Juiced? Do you put him back in the slot or do you keep him outside? Like what, as we sit here recording this on Thursday, uh, assuming William Jackson, the third continues to fully practice and is good to go on Sunday. Like how do you play your corners? Cause that is a real sticky wicket, uh, that the commander's staff seems to have found themselves in. Uh, thanks to Benjamin juice, really solid play on Sunday. So that's the best game I've seen from a corner since I've been covering the team. So 2020, 2019, whatever it was, um and so obviously you say i want that guy on the outside and i would try to get him on the outside the problem is 
you don't have enough depth. Like who's the nickel if he doesn't play right. the nickel, right? That that becomes the crux, right? Because you can't. I don't think. I think Fuller's been playing well enough outside that you don't want to get him unsettled and move him to nickel. I'd like to say William Jackson would move to nickel, but I don't think he physically is capable of doing it. So all of a sudden you're like, well, you have two guys who are outside guys, or you know, Fuller's despite the Philadelphia game, tight coverage, understands like I think he's playing at a high level. You don't want to take him out of there, I don't think. You know, so I think that kind of handcuffs you. You say it's either Wild Goose or Benjamin St. New uh Benjamin St. Juice at nickel. And to me, that's not even a question. So right. That that is your answer. As much as you want Benjamin St. Juice to play on the outside, I don't see I don't see a solution there where that's viable. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I do wonder, you know, the politics of everything as well. Like, do you start St. Juice and Fuller in base and then when when you go to nickel, you kick Ooh. BSJ inside. Like that's that seems. I like, like probably I'd the, like that idea. I like that honestly idea that a seems lot. like the best option. Um, but the other problem is then you get to your practice reps and how do you split it and like you know there there's all that the communication if he's moving around all over the place like that affects that. I, I do think though like you probably just go St. Juice at the at the nickel um, and go back to what you were doing because it gets your best players on the field. But if this back end were to fall apart again when Jackson gets back out there, I think you have to make a switch because the communication, the everything was just better last week. Mm -hmm. And was that because they were locked in or is that a reflection of the personnel? And if we start to get more data that it could be a reflection of the personnel, um, because obviously, you know, Jackson and Cam Curl haven't played together yet. So maybe Cam was actually the the secret sauce. And with him back out there, William will look like he did most of camp and during OTAs uh, or sorry, not OTAs. OTAs were kind of rough, but camp, he looked really good. So, um, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, we will be, uh, but moving forward, um, Benjamin St. Juice looks like a, a really potentially their best defensive draft pick since Rivera's been here. Frankly, um, you know, yeah. Chase was Chase. Oh, I guess Chase yeah. was was technically a Rivera pick, um, but certainly but the last still, two though, years. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not gonna spit that out. You know, I mean, that's uh, I'll, I'll chew on that for a little bit. Yeah, uh, Jamin. Jamin's getting better though. Let's see. That'd be great. No, I, I mean, would love. I would love for Benjamin to be second because Jamin develops into a hell of a football player. He had a good game on Sunday. You know, like yeah, he sure did. Uh, people need to talk about that too. But yeah, to me, that he 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 was the best player on the defense. Benjamin St. Juice playing outside, and he played with great confidence. A couple of plays, man. I did a breakdown for Command Center. It's on the YouTube page. It's on my Instagram. Like the way he's playing with his eyes, the way he's playing physical at the catch point, the way he's using his length, his foot speeds on full display. Did an outstanding job. Yeah, no, he was really, really good. Uh, Next Gen Stats had this really amazing stat on the touchdown catch that he did give up. 0.3 yards of separation. Just A.J. Brown's a monster. What are you going to do? All right, if you want that film breakdown, by the way, uh, Logan's Instagram is at Logan underscore Paulson 82. We will be back with you with more information on all the health and injuries and, and guys that are in and out and all that Sunday for Countdown to Kickoff. So join us live on the radio the Team 980 and 106.7 The Fan, the Odyssey app, of course, on either station stream starting at 10 a.m. Earl Forsey gets Burgundy Gold game day started at 8. Uh, I'll see you all on the radio as well at 3 o'clock, and then we'll see you Monday morning for a reaction pod here on Take Command. Make sure you subscribe. If you want a little bit more on the Dallas side of things, check out Love of the Star. And that's all we got for this week on Take Command.